A love that is active, a love that is captive, to pursue in a heart that is passive. I can't explain the feeling of being loved by a love that is living and breathing, a love that never destroys, even after I throw out a cup full of toys, but a love that always enjoys, that it employs itself to come drown out all of the noise when I'm dim or beaming boiling or steaming when I'm happy or when I'm kicking and screaming through sowing and reaping when I'm growing and weeping somehow your love is still mine for the keeping and when I'm distant when I am not receiving in that instant when I am not believing I still can't explain this feeling of being loved by a love that is living and breathing come Holy Spirit Move among us, come Holy Spirit, flow living water, flow within us, flow living water, your love is alive, it's breaking the darkness. Bringing the light to soften the heart of stone. Your love is alive. It's breaking the darkness. It's winning the fight and bringing the open.
Okay, so welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VGR Nathan, and with us today is Amelia Thompson. Um, let's see, uh, over the last 10 years, uh, Amelia has provided strategic planning, program design, grant writing, and performance management support to a range of causes, businesses, and nonprofit organizations. She completed undergraduate study at Vassar College in political science while minoring in Mandarin and Africana studies and has a master's degree in education at St. John's University, from St. John's University. She serves in, her, in the Youth and Community Affairs Department at her church, Christian Cultural Center, Brooklyn. Um, yeah, welcome. Welcome, Amelia. Thanks, Vijay. Great to be here. Great, great. Uh, so we just listened to Come Holy Spirit um, by the band, uh, by the group uh, We Will Worship. Uh, thank you for that selection. It was very, very powerful. Um, Happy to share. Thank you, thank you. So why don't we start with um, your involvement or your founding of We Will uh, Deliver. We Will Deliver was called, right? We Deliver Period. We Deliver Period. We Deliver Periods. Yeah, I was getting all uh, tied. My head was getting all tied with the song. But We Deliver Periods. Yeah. Uh, and I just watched the movie, the uh, award, uh, Academy Award winning documentary, Period, End of Sentence, which Great. we were discussing a little yes. beforehand. So but why don't I let you uh, talk a little bit about that organization and how how it started and how what its work is doing. Sure. Yeah. Um, so We Deliver Period started about three summers ago. Uh, rather than host a birthday party, I invited friends to my place um, and asked that they would just bring um, menstrual hygiene supplies. Um, and I uh, had all the, all the other things that were needed to create um, care packages mm -hmm. uh, that were given to an organization here uh, that works in New York City, helping girls transition out of sex trafficking. Um, so we created menstrual care packages um, and that, that gave birth to We Deliver Period. Um, I then started to look for other opportunities to raise awareness about um, the challenges of menstrual hygiene care uh, for women and girls who are in need. Um, and then I also started to look, uh, not just uh, locally, but also abroad, um, to think about how I could support um, efforts to improve um, access uh, to supplies um, and resources and knowledge overall uh, that would help girls and women um, better manage their um, menstrual cycles. Excellent, excellent. And um, yeah, tell us a little bit about so now. This was the overview of the mission and the the vision mm -hmm. of the of the organization on the ground level. How did it start, and how did you like you got some of the donations you said, right? But then uh, how did it become like an international, or how did you oh, be able to question. launch it? Yeah, yeah. So we started on the ground, um, and then I started to invite others who were interested in the issue to host their own drives. Um, and so an organization, a friend who was connected to, um, I think, a, a shelter um, right outside of Virginia, um, the sort of D.C. metro area, um, she uh, hosted a drive, um, I think, through her church or um, a local organization that, didn't, that then also provided uh, goods to a shelter. Um, and then um, a gym, a local gym here in New York, uh, Fit for a Dance, they've hosted drives um, at least two years in a row. Um, and the supplies from those drives have benefited women who are transitioning out of homelessness. Um, and, um, and so that was one year it benefited women transitioning out of homelessness. Another year it benefited women um, who were returning home from incarceration. Um, and so while those activities were happening locally, I was really interested in thinking about um, how to uh, be of help to an international cause. Um, and so I, I, I continued to do research in this area. And so I'd learned of a product called maca pads, um, which are developed in Uganda. Um, and they're um, 95% biodegradable, um, and I'd learned of the, the engineer who created them after discovering um, that menstrual care was an issue for his wife. He, he wasn't um, aware of the issue until he discovered one of her cloths 
um, that she used to manage her cycle. Um, and so he discovered that it was an issue for her and also for their daughter. Um, so that sort of launched him into wanting to find a sustainable solution for their context. Um, so he developed uh, maca pads, which are made of shredded paper um, and papyrus. Um, and uh, it's a, it, it has become a, a part of a sort of product um, that is developed by um, the, found, the company that he founded. He actually passed away, unfortunately, just last year, um, but his work lives on. Um, and so uh, I discovered Makapats, and then I discovered an organization called Knickers for New Life um, and learned that they actually provide Makapats to girls in Western Uganda. Um, and so I reached out to the founder of Knickers for New Life, um, who's Wafa Kalmeyer, um, and discovered that her work is based in North Carolina. Um, and actually was born sort of out of um, her local church, Grace Mills Church in North Carolina. Um, and they had an interest in, they've, they have missionary families around the world. Um, and one of their families are, are the Isinomas who live in and who are Ugandan. Um, and so through the um, Isinomas, uh, Christine and Edward, they've been able to identify five schools that are part of their network. Um, and so they provide them um, access, access to their entire cycle of um, care, health, and hygiene. Um, and so all the schools that are in their network, um, they help fund the building of latrines um, because otherwise girls and boys don't have a sanitary place to actually use the restroom. Um, so they provide building of latrines, um, access to a curriculum um, about uh, the menstrual cycle and health overall. Um, they also help found, um, fund the building of tippy-tap hand wash stations. Um, and then they also provide girls with undergarments or knickers um, and the... Um, menstrual hygiene supplies or maca pads. Um, and also the last thing they also provide is access to um, mosquito repellent soap that is also Ugandan made. Um, it's created by a local um, a Ugandan uh, soap maker, uh, Mr. Katumba. Uh, and I had the opportunity to visit all the schools that this work funds uh, just in February um, and discovered that through access to the, um, the maca pads, and also to the mosquito repellent soap, uh, that the incidence of malaria at all the schools that are funded by this work um, has been totally, almost totally eliminated. Um, and uh, the, there's an increase overall um, in the number of girls who are enrolled um, in school, extra girls and boys who are enrolling in school in these areas. So um, that's how I got connected to Nickers for New Life. Oh, excellent, excellent. Very good, very good. So I believe you described it as a Kairos moment when uh, when you were away in Uganda mm -hmm. and uh, Period and Descendants won the um, Oscar, you know, right. So it's just, it's just I think can you talk a little bit about like um, kind of what you feel as the the coming to uh, realization that mm -hmm. you had and 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 the importance of this work and a little bit more about Kairos uh, for those people. I guess like it's it defines itself as opposed to like uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about Kairos sure. and, and what what that means to you. Sure. Yeah. So I think about a Kairos moment as a alignment of purpose um, and timing um, mm -hmm. that's a bit uncanny. Um, and so on the heels of our trip to Uganda, actually the day that we returned from Uganda um, was the same day that period end of sentence won uh, the Academy Award for Best Documentary. Um, and so some may, some would just think of that as coincidental, um, but I thought of that as sort of divinely um, orchestrated. Yeah. Um, and it was just sort of a reminder just for that event to sort of punctuate our return home. Um, I thought of it as a reminder that the work is uh, is timely, is necessary, is relevant, um, not just for what's happening here in the U.S., but also um, and, and, and certainly for uh, work that's necessary abroad. 
So that's why I define it as a sort of Kairos moment. But even globally, um, there's just so much activity happening around this issue. Just last week, the UN hosted the Council on the Status of Women, um, and there are a number of events that focus specifically on menstrual health and hygiene, uh, one of which I had the opportunity to attend. Um, but there's just so much in, um, increasing attention and focus on the importance of uh, menstrual hygiene. And, and often it's talked about um, in a global context. Um, it's really important for girls and women to have access to these supplies so that they can uh, uh, stay in school or uh, continue to work. Um, but it's also just an issue of human dignity. Um, so that's why I think this is, this is the time. And also when you think about what's happening in the U.S., um, just last year with the focus on the Me Too movement, um, there's just a burgeoning interest on, on ways to empower uh, girls and women. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing that in the movie, uh, some of these young girls um, are opting to leave education mm -hmm. uh, because they're not able to manage uh, something that in the West we consider, you know, fairly uh, mundane, mm -hmm. or fairly, fairly, you know, not, not as big an issue, you right. know? Right. So, um, yeah, but also to talk about, uh, you know, in my pre-interview questions, some people listening to the show know I hinted towards pre-interview questions. Mm. Uh, talk a little about the... Um, like how, how you developed as a person. And we were talking a little bit about how both of us are local New York City right. people. Um, we both grew up in uh, the area. Right. Uh, we, we actually have a crossover in uh, having you both attend Vassar. For, right. I attended for a short, short time, and then we did our master's in St. John's. St. John's. So it's really interesting to, to see that convergence. Um, but Maybe the Kairos yeah. moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very nice. Um so talk a little bit about kind of how how growing up, uh, where were you born actually, and uh, and how growing up in New York um, kind of influenced you, or some of the uh, highlights, some of the uh, pivotal moments mm -hmm. that brought you along your path, whether it be schools of thought or philosophies or or just uh, general memories of, of New York. Yeah, sure. Um, so I actually grew up in Bed Stuy, Brooklyn. Uh -huh. um, attended Boys and Girls High School before going to Vassar, um, and I uh, was ra raised in a single uh, parent home. Um, and we weren't uh, what someone described as really religious. Actually, we didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in church at all. Um, I didn't actually uh, become a person of faith until. Well, I wouldn't say that. I didn't become a Christian until um, college. Actually, to, until I was at Vassar. Um, actually, I was returning. I'd returned home for um, I think it was a, a winter break, um, and a friend invited me to her church. And I'd, I'd been before, and I always thought of it as a sort of odd place, and I didn't really fit in at the time. I, I always uh, I used to dress like a boy. Growing up, and so I wore um, like um, pants and sneakers and like large clothes always. Um, and in that context, I uh, I stuck out like a sore thumb because girls and women at that church um, typically only wore um, skirts and dresses. Um, and so although I didn't I didn't feel like I, I fit in, um, I knew that something uh, or someone real was present. Um, and so I would return occasionally. Um, and it was at it was during my it was during that that visit. Um, in December, uh, that I became a Christian, um, and I've I've seen that it's been the the best decision that I could have made. Um, not long after that, actually, my, my mom uh, passed away before I graduated from Vassar. Um, but uh, having made the decision to become a Christian um, has sort of just overall shaped my worldview um, and my sense of what's possible, um, and even sort of helped me understand times of difficulty um, through a different um, time of difficulty with the perspective of faith. Um, which has been really helpful. Mm. Um, and, you know, earlier you commented, you, you mentioned like the, the issue of, of uh, menstrual hygiene care as it being sort of uh, an issue that's not really thought of in the West. Yeah. Um, that's true in certain spaces, but for women who are homeless mm. um, or just wow. transitioning 
and just in periods of transition, it actually can be a very difficult time for them as well. Um, I think it's Bundle that created a video um, sort of uh, documenting the experience of women um, who are homeless and how they how they manage their, their menstrual care. So it is an issue um, in our context as well. It's certainly a greater issue in the majority world mm. where there aren't um, where there isn't uh, necessary access to uh, bathrooms and uh, uh, clean water and uh, sort of the entire system of things that that, that are needed uh, to to be hygienic. Um, but it, it, so it's an issue in both places. Um, but yes, so that that my 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 perspective of faith. Um, and so I guess I, in part I've always been interested in understanding how you help those in need. Um, and so that's been a part of my childhood, and it's also part of the work that I do now with We Deliver Period. Yeah, and I think you had uh, quoted uh, um, about the Mahatma Gandhi quote mm-hmm. about um, the best way to find yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in, in the service of others. I really, I've always loved that quote, um, and I think it's also like uh, in thinking about like the the context of New York, where and also my generation was just like super or hyper focused on like success and achievement um, and pedigree um, and all those things. Um, I've, I'm learning more and more that. Um, we discover more about what we're here for and our purpose um, and trying to identify gaps um, and f- finding ways to fill those gaps to meet the needs of others. Yeah, service to others is definitely very important. And remembering that, um, you know, there's so many 7 billion people on this planet. That's right. You know, and that yeah. We're just one person. That's that exactly right. We have to be uh, kind of committed to helping others and such. Absolutely. Yeah. Good, good. Um, so also you're a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to give you a chance in a few minutes to uh, read some of your poetry oh, and see some of your writing. Uh, why don't you set us off a little bit about what the themes of your poetry is and, and a little bit about your practice. Yeah, Sure. So I'm a part of the Redeemer Writers Group, um, and that group meets on a, a regular basis here in the city. Um, and actually, it was sort of it was born out of Redeemer's Church. Um, but uh, folks from different churches also attend. Um, and so my writing typically focuses on focuses on um, areas of need, um, even uh, people in positions of need, um, and then also just uh, themes of faith. So like the idea of rest um, and the idea of like sort of trusting God and and and, and um, His timing. Um, so I think those are those are sort of consistent themes throughout my writing. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you take a moment to listen to a couple poems uh, when you pull it up, um, and we can see how that plays into the actual. Writing when you get a moment? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'll start with one. Um, this one is actually untitled. Okay. 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 Excuse my French. This four-letter word, a mouthful as it skates past teeth, spoken yet not heard, tasted yet not savored, making you uncomfortable. It was meant to. To remind you you're not the end nor the beginning, and that it reminds me too, taking up more space than it should, wearing out its welcome. It sits down with you, desires to stay a while, to make your home its home, and to make you at home with it. Seduced by the busy, you rush past it out the door, but it comes along for the day of chores, insisting you remember it's not out of reach. It's not out of reach. No, the word is near you, the word is on you, and the word is excellent. It is on your lips and in your heart so that you may delight in it. Rest and see that it is good. Thank you, thank you. Very nice, very powerful. Should I create one more? Yeah. Sure. This okay. one is called Who? Her poverty filled the spaces where commuters weren't, wedged between a rock and the hardest place. She slept or pretended to sleep as we pretended to not see, to unnoticed the stench of her remorse, filling every wisp of air, sorrowful and forgotten. Her condo, my morning chariot, 
where a house wasn't, where a home could, could never be. I exited, leaving her behind, but the memory of her forgetfulness ever with me, till I choose to forget it, and with it, her. Who? Oh, very nice, very nice. Yeah, I liked how you, you know, your delivery of the poem was very good. It was very, like, had a certain energy to it. Thank you. And thank you, thank you. Um, and also wondering, you kind of question what it or the 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 first poem, the, the it was referenced a lot, so it kind of makes you think about you know, kind of reflecting on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. So uh, also we were talking a little bit about some, uh, you said you like to read biographies and such. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell us a little bit about some of the pivotal biographies you've read that uh, help and influence you, or if there's any particular um, book or, or biography that helped influence you. Sure. Yeah. Um, actually, in high school, I remember being assigned, for those who uh, may be listening and attended Boys and Girls High School, um, there's a, a teacher who was sort of... Um, infamous uh, for being very, uh, she was not an easy grade, grader. She had super high standards. Um, and she also was very, um, in some ways, like this is saying that like truth is confrontational. She would be publicly confrontational about yeah. your work or lack of work. Um, her name was uh, Gavire, uh, Mrs. Gavire. Um, she's an English teacher. And uh, she assigned her class, uh, Sidney Poitier's um, Measure of a Man, um, and I remember actually once in class, in front of class, she asked me what I did when I went home. Um, and the truth was, I didn't do much. I would just watch TV. Um, and so I told her that. And she said, yeah, I can tell. Um, and she said, your writing would improve um, uh, immeasurably if you would just read, if you would just open the book. Um, and so in, the, you know, in that space, I didn't really want to, I didn't acknowledge that I like, heard what she was saying. Um, I sort of dis dismissed the comment. But, um, but I did hold on to it, and I did. Uh, start to start to read, and she was right. Um, my writing did improve because I I, um, I started to read. Um, but uh, in being assigned uh, Sidney Poitier's Measure of a Man, um, I just became really um, just interested in his life story and, and really sort of inspired by his commitment to excellence and integrity and all that he did, uh, whether he's on stage but also in his personal life um, and his uh, commitment to justice. Um, so, yeah, his, that, that biography was, um, was one that continues to leave uh, a lasting impression. Good, good. So, and today, uh, what, what are some um, of the uh, cultural artifacts or, or things that are uh, continuing to spark your interest and continuing to uh, speak to your larger themes and passions? So that's part of the um, uh, interview stuff. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I love that you started. I didn't expect that you started with song, and I happen yeah. to really love that band, We Will Worship. It's a South African artist, a South African band. Um, but I, I love music. I love different genres of music. Um, so that's, uh, I, I feel like I always have a song for, uh, often if I'm like talking to a friend, um, about any range of things, a song will come to mind. Um, and sometimes, sometimes I sort of think of like songs as like prescriptions to sort of cheer up a day or to, um, uh, just further, um, emphasize it like really, a really great one. Um, I think of songs. So songs are, uh, music is, is huge for me, um, uh, but also I, I do read more. Um, and, I, and I still continue to enjoy biographies. Right now I'm reading a friend's biography called Hope for Kaleri. Um, it's written by Rachel Matesi, um, who is Ugandan and lives in Kaleri, um, which she describes as a slum of Kaleri, which is, self, which is described as a slum of Kaleri. Um, so it's a actually really sprawling area of, um, of Uganda. Um, and often in many areas of Kaleri, there isn't um, access to um, appropriate um, sanitation. Um, there's, there's, there's a whole, there are a host of challenges um, in that community. 
Um, but Rachel talks about um, her faith, but also her journey from Calare to studying theology um, at um, Oxford, um, and then her, her return back to Clare. She's really committed to community and continues to live there um, and to um, advance the gospel um, and to do the work of service um, in her home context. Good, good. Thank you. Thank sure. you. So um, one thing we were talking a little bit about is like, you know, ideal situations and ideal that the kind of the utopian society or what we're trying to build towards. Mm-hmm. I always feel like, um, you know, it's helpful when we have a goal in mind to yes. where we're going towards. And you've hinted towards a lot of this uh, in your answers in the, in the first half, but we'll kind of reiterate for people who are just tuning in. Um, you know, if society were exactly as you imagined it, what would it look like and how would it all feel? What would be the, what would be the goal that we're working towards? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, I think often that uh, our our sort of current social context is very like self focused. Yeah. Um, and I, you know that's and I think that's for all of us. I'm not excluding myself from that. Um, but I think if if it were if I could sort of remake um, identity in in, in in sort of my own ideal, I think it would be much more uh, focused on others um, and sort of like related to that 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 quote that I love um, of, of Gandhi's. Um, that we would really commit ourselves to um, meeting needs where they're obvious, um, but then also um, not demanding that someone be a part of our community because of what they can contribute. Um, and I think that's that's a challenge um, in this day, but also um, in the context of New York, um, where sort of friendships and affiliations are all often, I think, rooted in um, what what I can get out of it. Mm. Um, uh, and you know, it's often thought of like whether whether I'm networking with someone or um, just looking to, to build a relationship, it's often a very still very self focused. Um, so I think I would I would love to sort of think about a, a, a social space um, where that wasn't the case, where independent of what you what you can contribute to that space, you would be equally valued um, and equally accepted. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting because um, you know we think about the meritocracy as being like the ideal. Yes, we think about like based on merit. That's right. That we earn that we are able to earn our place, but. Um, you know, we should just have a your humane mm-hmm. society mm-hmm. where all of us are able to, um, you know, just have the benefit of, of the others and be of service to others. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Good. Good. Thank you. And what about for yourself? Um, you know, what are your goals, uh, self goals, and, and things that you wanted? Uh, how would your life look like? And how would you feel? How would you act? What would you become? I mean, you've pretty much said this clearly but i just want to be able sure. to expand no, on it yeah um you know i um in terms of personal goals i'm really uh, committed to connecting like bringing people together yeah um and then in those spaces uh sort of uh, shedding or sort of shining light on specific issues um or just encouraging um bringing people together so that they can be built up to, to sort of pursue the, their um, their life purpose um and so with that uh, friends and i um have started this monthly bible study uh, called brooklyn brilliant um, we meet every second Saturday um, um, at a at a juice bar in Crown Heights, um, and sort of the founding of that group, that juice bar it, it sort of speaks to like my uh, what I think of in terms of um, why we should be connected to one another. Uh, this this um, pastor and his wife um, saw that there was a need in Crown Heights, so there was a need to create um, uh, healthier food options, um, so they decided to open a juice bar. Um, and so the Sanctuary Juice Bar is on Notion Avenue, and they have a sort of upper room space which they um, allow the community to use for different meeting purposes. Um, and so uh, friends and I meet there on a regular basis, and it's really meant to be a space for creatives and entrepreneurs 
to connect, um, but then also to encourage one another. I've, I've found that entrepreneurs and whether you're a social entrepreneur or um, sort of um, a commercial entrepreneur, um, I find that that space can be often lonely. Um, and uh, so the more that, that, that those that creatives and entrepreneurs are brought, to, brought together and sort of encouraged to reflect on their work and their talent, um, I think the more likely they are to sort of develop grit and to keep going, to keep, keep pursuing uh, the goals that they have. So that's one of my goals is to see others sort of flourish in what they're called to do. Um, and then um, I also uh, love to continue to think about how to fund research um, and work that's happening in the menstrual um, management space locally um, and abroad. So my, my, I would love to see We Live Period become sort of and function as a, uh, an actual foundation uh, that funds research um, and work that's happening in that space. Good, good. Thank you. Thank you. And then uh, this all ties together with the themes of the show. You know, every show we try to explore how the personal is political and mm -hmm. how, you know, our personal choices are informed and inform the larger political landscape. Right. And uh, you've been talking a little bit about how, you know, everything from, you know, our management of uh, how we treat others and and how we um, uh, embody that service of others is is almost like a political statement if you could talk a little mm -hmm. bit about that yeah oh that's true i hadn't yeah. thought about that way but yeah. i agree um yeah I, I think there i would be hard pressed to try and um sort of disentangle what's mm. political from what's personal um i think the two in some ways sort of function as a filter um or sort of lens, a lens that's necessary to better understand the other um and so for me the things that i'm deeply personal like that are deeply personal to me um inform what i think of and how i how I imagine that which is political. Um, and so I guess in some ways the work that I do, um, you know, whether it relates to my faith um, or advancing the cause of, of menstrual management care around the world, um, that work in certain contexts is seen as political um, because you're actually, you're confronting um, uh, sort of um, economic and power structures um, to try and advance um, the cause of those in need. Um, so it, it, I, 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 I am not able to um, appropriately um, or Maybe not appropriately, but I'm not, I'm not able to actually um, separate out what's political versus what's personal. Yeah, I mean, in the, in the documentary, uh, they talked a little bit about, you know, uh, how this resultant area, this resultant mm -hmm. ignorance and problem that they have is because of the patriarchy. That's you right. Know? That's right. So they talked a little bit about that briefly, though, not as much as I would have liked to mm -hmm. have gotten a little bit more into yes. that, like how that really plays out, because, uh, you know, all the men seem to be or at least appeared to be kind of oblivious to what menstruation is. Right. And even the women were too shy or too uh, taboo, know, kind of taboo, taboo topic yep. to talk about. So I guess what they talk about patriarchy is those kind of, um, if you talk, tell, tell us a little bit about kind of how you, how you, patriarchy is such an abstract word it in is. a way. It is. It just doesn't really, it's not grounded. Right. You know? Right. And, that's and how you think, how you, how your perception of that is. Right. And, so I think of yeah. patriarchy um, as a invisible system of um, ideas and cultures and, and practices um, that relegate women and girls to um, a diminished and a lower status um, of life than, than what they're called to. Um, and so that shows up um, in the context of a household uh, when the household budget is established and it doesn't include um, funds for a girl to purchase sanitary napkins, yeah. um, which are needed every month, right? Um, and, and you know, I was even um, at, at the UN's Council on the Status for Women at a, at a, um, a panel uh, that I attended last week that focused on this issue. Um, one of the panelists brought up uh, what it means for a girl to have to find, to have to ask for uh, funds to buy sanitary napkins um, 
when the budget, the household budget, does include funds for, let's say, the, uh, uh, her father to have money for drinking purposes. Mm. Um, and so in those, and that's that's one way that patriarchy is like very, um, very real for mm. that girl child. Um, but it also shows up um, in the workplace um, when, or even in school, um, if a girl is out of school uh, for a couple of days because she's not well or she doesn't have uh, the supplies to manage her menstruation well. Um, and when she returns to school and is asked why has she, why she's been absent, uh, she can't really speak to it because it's taboo. Um, or if she does speak to it and she does say, um, honestly, it's because she either didn't feel well because of um, the discomfort related to her period um, or she didn't have the supplies to manage it, um, that she's dismissed. Mm. Um, and I, I, even in conversation with a friend um, who also is a part of the Redeemer Writers Group, um, she talked about um, uh, even sharing that experience with teachers who are women um, and the response being, well, I figured it out, so you have to as well. Um, and so uh, even even sometimes women, we perpetuate and we sort of uh, um, allow um, the, the view of a diminished view of the girl, child, or women um, to inform our actions and our behaviors in the way that we um, sort of reinforce those those structures. Mm. And we talk about, uh, you know, feminism and talk about, because uh, in the movie too, I'm relying a little bit on the movie for some of the mm-hmm. questions, but um, the movie too, they talk a little bit about how they're kind of, it's still the women were a little bit ambivalent or I felt they were kind of not really taking the stand of the I'm feminist. They were like, I'm kind of, or I'm right. sort of a feminist. They were like, I'm like, they were a little bit shy to yes. take that stand. And um, what does feminism mean to you? And what does um, it mean to be feminist? Um, I think of, um, I think of uh, what it means to be feminist as being committed to seeing women and girls advance um, right. in, in uh, a range of areas, in all areas of life, really. Um, so as it relates to um, personal um, uh, sort of personal development, um, but also in terms of access to power, um, and access to life-sustaining careers and access to um, economic authority um, to make decisions and also broaden pathways for others. Mm, good, good. And we, the major theme of the show is about, um, you know, transforming truth to power rather than mm-hmm. we think about speaking truth to power as being like, you know, uh, reminding people in power that um, of, of our presence and of our truths. That's right. But actually we want to transform, to, transform truth to power. Mm-hmm. We're going to empower ourselves in our communities that then we can then take the stand. And t- tell us a little bit about how you f- interpret that or how you interpret truth to power or sure. what you think about that, yeah? I think I, when I think about truth to power, I think about what it means to allow the community that, that desires to gain access or or um, that you want to gain access to power to define that in, in their own terms. So in that movie, um, I wonder what it would have meant to ask uh, the women um, in that context, how would they define um, living like their own their version of the best life? Yeah. Um, because maybe they would have chosen a different word. Right, maybe the reluctance to embracing um, that idea of um, feminism was the language, and not necessarily the ideal of it it's itself. So I think, um, in thinking about what it means to to fight on behalf of, of, of bringing or speaking truth to power, I think it, it, we do have to think about the language, but also um, wanting those who we want to be in positions of authority, um, or to or to be to be able to speak to those positions, to define it in terms that um, make sense for them. Yeah. And when we think about like um, governing and governance, these are all part of, these are only part of the picture of like what, how we live our life, you know? That's right. Like there's only a small part. And uh, obviously even those in um, positions of power, mm-hmm. you know, or, or making the decisions of power 
are servants to the public. They're public servants. Yes. And we should continue to remind these people that, you know, they're here to serve the public, not Absolutely to serve true. their own special interests. And Absolutely true. Yeah. yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's a good conversation to have because these kinds of things are sometimes forgotten and, and marginalized. And we talk about how um, even men benefit from, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the dismantling the patriarchy, at least the, this, the introduction of or infusion of feminist ideas and feminist uh, movements into every, every society, even in this society. Uh, every society, um, you know, we realize that we are also freed by, mm-hmm. you know, releasing from ignorance of what's going on in the world, how that's right with reproductive health and and reproductive knowledge uh, can improve mm-hmm. our abilities to serve others and and, and be of service. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We talk talk a little bit about that and how your perception of how you know the relationship between men and how men can benefit from feminism. Absolutely, yeah. So especially as it relates to um, advancing the cause of um, mental hygiene care yeah. um, and sort of tackling uh, global period poverty, I found it really um, sort of um, illuminating when men have um, rightly sort of taken a seat at that table, right? Um, I think it's a, it's a space that you would assume um, uh, isn't um, sort of uh, friendly to men, but we do want to see men at that table. We want to see them talking about um, how this issue shows up in their own personal context. Um, so whether they have, um, excuse me, <clears throat> whether they have a wife or or, or, or uh, girl children, um, or co- or or work in a work uh, work in a context with women as um, colleagues, um, this issue on some level does impact them. Um, and so I think, uh, and even in going to Uganda, what I was really um, sort of taken um, taken by was seeing so many uh, men who who run schools there um, talk about why this issue is so important to them as school leaders. Um, and what was also neat about uh, that experience is that um, in many, um, at actually all of the schools that we visited, uh, whether we were at New Life um, in, in Hoima, Uganda, or at Hope Primary School um, in Bundibugyo, Uganda, um, those schools are, um, the headmasters are, are men. Um, and they've, uh, they've seen that this issue um, has not only improved the, the sort of sense of uh, worth of, of, of the girl child, um, but it has also improved their entire school um, culture. Um, and so there's a, a greater um, emphasis on understanding um, why all children matter in those contexts. Um, and what's been really incredible is to see how the students um, then take that sense of, of dignity and, and purpose um, and, and now are influencing their home cultures. Um, so just last week, actually, we were sent a video of a girl um, who would build um, and encourage her family at home to build a tippy-tap hand-washing station. Um, because the things that we, we take for granted, that the idea of, that hand-washing should be just uh, um, just a given or just sort of something uh, habitual, um, but it's not unless it's something that's a part of the culture. So it's, it's now becoming part of the culture because of uh, children taking it home. Um, but to this question of what, what, the role, what role men have in this conversation, I think it's one that um, they, I think men, I, I would really encourage men to think of themselves and to position themselves more and more um, as as allies in this work, um, and we want to see men um, talking about why this matters to them um, and why it's important to advance uh, this cause. Even uh, the the reason that uh, this movie, uh, period, end of sentence, um, sentence um, was even created is because a man in India uh, d- d- desired to actually create um, a machine that would um, that would provide jobs to to other women, um, but then would also respond to an actual social need. Um, and so I think the more that we, we see, and, and there's, there's an um, entire media campaign, social media campaign, um, getting men to pose with sanitary products in India, 
um, which again, like sort of tackles the taboo. So the more that you have, the more that men are, um, the men, more that men see themselves as allies in this work and see themselves as agents who can uh, fight against the stigma and the, tab- the taboo, I think the further along we can advance. Good, good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree. I think that um, we have to kind of, even in, you know, we think about the West as being like less taboo, but there's still many taboos that oh, exist in, uh, in our society mm-hmm. and, and how we tackle reproductive health, how we tackle um, all these kinds of issues, sexual absolutely. health and all that. And, um, you know, being able to dismantle those in, in the West is, is part of the work and, and not just think it's easy to kind of think of us as, as being like, oh, we're so advanced, advanced and, and right. enlightened. Not you know? the peace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That. That. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so returning to about um, uh, kind of what uh, values and such act as your, your compass and guiding life philosophy. We've tackled a lot of that mm-hmm. in the past. We have like about 15 more minutes or 10 more minutes or so. So we go return a little bit to that and kind mm-hmm. of the, the, um, the guiding force between uh, keeping you going and, and how you tackle um, challenges that arise and which challenges how, any challenges that we rise and how you were able to overcome them. Sure. Yeah. Um, so in terms of personal values, um, I really am deeply committed to this idea of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I, I, I like the sort of the theme of your show. Um, but I'm also really committed to excellence um, and, to, and the idea that anything that we put our hand, our hand or our, our hands or our heart to, uh, we should want to do it with, with excellence and to do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in terms of um, uh, challenges that I've overcome, um, you know, I was just sharing this yesterday at, um, at NYU, uh, sort of talking to students who are interested in working in the education space at some point um, in their lives. Um, I talked about being um, being raised in a single parent home, but also uh, uh, being raised in foster care. Um, my original, my biological mother uh, gave me up for adoption um, at some point, um, and um, I was placed in um, foster care. Unfortunately. I was uh, the, the home that I was placed in, I ended up being adopted in when I was eight years old. Um, but uh, growing up um, in, a, in growing up in foster care and knowing that your original family um, is no longer um, that you're no longer part of that family, um, it, that, that, that brings a, a sort of degree of baggage that um, a sort of sense of abandonment or just you know just wanting to understand a place and identity um, that, that certainly and I think um, for the most part in general um, teens and um, adolescents sort of question their place and identity. Um, and so the, the added layer there is, um, is, is sort of having those questions without um, the, the sort of family, uh, the biological family context uh, that others do have. And so um, fortunately, I, um, and some might think of it as being, as it being, um, I was just being really fortunate, but I think of it as like divine orchestration or sort of divine providence in being in a family um, that really um, supported my academic flourishing um, and then just encouraged me to to try uh, different things. And going to Vassar was um, was great uh, because it sort of opened my worldview. I hadn't traveled abroad before that experience, um, and and meeting friends from different places, both in the U.S. and around the world, um, it also sort of uh, gave me sort of a, a taste for more um, and a taste to sort of adventure beyond what I was what my my, my sort of home setting and what I was comfortable with. Um, so I think um, just the the desire for um, uh, the desire for more, um, coupled with my um, the family support that I did have and I do have, um, have really sort of been a great foundation uh, for for um, my life. Yeah, it seems like the discipline you have for yourself seems to be to kind of keep it, keep the excellence, keep the excellence, maintain that. And talk a little bit about the disciplines you have for yourself that help you achieve that excellence, help you achieve that um, 
that high standard you set for yourself. Sure. Yeah, on a daily day basis, yeah. Um, well, you know, some days I wake, I don't, so I'm not as disciplined as I, as I once was. I, yeah. might, I might return to this discipline more often. Um, but um, there, was a, there was a time when almost every day I would begin the day by asking myself and sort of writing out the answer uh, to the question, um, if today is my last day, what must I do? Um, and the answer was usually related to, uh, like, make sure I check on this person, make sure I check, call this friend or text this friend or family member uh, to see what's going on in his or her life. Um, and so I think uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the extent that um, I've been um, not as self-focused as I, as, 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 um, as I could be, because um, there are times when I'm, I'm very self-focused, but I find that there's less progress made during those seasons. Um, so the, the more that I, I focus outwardly, on, on, on being of help, um, I think that, that the, the commitment to being excellent, um, and, and, and that means not necessarily um, it, it being perfect by, by no means, um, but really just uh, it, me taking to a task or um, a project um, with a high fidelity to um, it, it being um, a high fidelity to whatever the goal of that experience is. So whether it's a fundraising event where we're, we're bringing um, we're raising awareness or bringing attention to the cause of mental hygiene, or it's a local Bible study, or it's an opportunity to speak to youth. Um, um, I try to t- take on that work with a high fidelity to what our intentions are for those projects. Um, so I think that um, that I, that thought of sort of taking stock of my days and knowing that tomorrow may not come, and so I, I want to make the most of it today and and honor the relationships that I have, uh, honor the relationships I have, and then also um, to accomplish uh, whatever the goal or the intentions are of the projects that are at hand. Um, those those things, uh, I think, together are what allow me to continue to move forward. It's so important, so important. I think that um, it's so important to remember that we should, you know, we're kind of developing ourselves and we're kind of going along this path. And, and as you were saying, you know, returning to the, the discipline of the essential discipline of being a service to others and, and helping others and, and, and keeping ourselves at a high standard, you know, as you're saying, um, is so important. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. I agree. Good, good. So as we start to wind down, uh, do you have another song we should play? Mm, let's see. Uh, let's think about some other songs yeah, we're going to play. Just... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit from um, uh, Radio Free Brooklyn's uh, promotional materials while you pull up. Sure. While you try to, um, then I'll pull it up on my phone. But uh, Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy and education and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So to help support our mission, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate. Also, you can go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power and sponsor this show in particular um, because every cent helps us continue to stay on air. We, we spend uh, you know, monthly dues, so if you'd like to sponsor this show, please uh, support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax deductible to close central law. Again, it's readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate or readyforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power, where you can uh, click on the sponsor the show um, link. Uh, Ready for Brooklyn is proud to announce that they've been launching an after-school program for local teens in 2019 to learn media literacy through media making using a hands-on approach guided by local professionals. If you're interested in participating or donating to this program, please go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash after-school. Um, also remember that if you're listening on your computer, you can uh, listen on your apps. Uh, rather, uh, go to iPhone, readyforbrooklyn.org slash iPhone or slash Android, and you can listen to it on the go. So no excuse not to catch uh, Truth to Power show. 
and all of other sister programs. Um, sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date with new programming, upcoming RFP events, interviews, and ticket giveaways at bravebrooklyn.org slash newsletter. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so you have a song you want to... I do. This is um, by a, a British artist called Governor B. It's G-U-V-N-A. And then the song is Cast Your Cares. Cool, cool. Yeah, so it's been really good. Music is such an important, um, you know, uh, part of our culture, part of our being. Mm -hmm. Cast Your Cares. And then, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about your uh, favorite songs or your favorite involvement in music as I start to pull this up. So uh, this song, actually, um, what I love, not just the song, but also the the sort of creation of the song, uh, Governor B once... uh, he woke up one day with a a melody in his mind, and uh, he, he and also a dream that uh, that the song that was in his mind was going to be sung all over the world. Um, so he went to a friend's house who's a producer, um, and the producer had uh, that morning actually was singing his own song. Um, and then together they brought like the melody he had in his head together with the song, um, and and created a track. Um, and then he realized that something was missing. Um, so he, he contacted Matt Redman, who um, is here in the states. Um, and, and, and sent him what they were working on and said, you know, that's something missing. Um, and then Matt Redman followed up and said, hey, it's missing a bridge. And so he provided the bridge. Um, and then um, they took that song and, um, and actually it, and it released it as part of this, his current album, or his most recent album. Um, but uh, around the holidays, um, around Christmas, he thought that um, it could be even further, um, sort of uh, the sort of beauty of the song could be even, even further amplified by um, inviting a, a choir uh, to be a part oh, of it. Wow. Um, and so they got in contact with the choir. Uh, the, I think it's called the King's Choir or the Kingdom Choir. Um, uh-huh. Forgive me for mistaking the name, but uh, the choir that sung at the royal wedding. Um, oh, and wow. so in a, a few days, um, it was it was confirmed that they would be a part of the project. Um, and so they released a special, um, I think it's called the Kingdom Choir. They re- released a special edition for uh, Christmas. Um, and indeed, that song now is being sung around the world. Oh, okay. So it's it's really the the story behind it and the idea that like you reach out to others to sort of accomplish a goal. Um, that that's that's why I enjoy it so much. So interesting, so interesting. So um, as we start to wind down, um, also if you want to direct people to any um, of your websites or sure. social media presence, anything like that, yeah. absolutely. So uh, you can follow We Deliver Period um, on Instagram at We Deliver We Deliver Period. Um, our website is We Deliver Period org. Um, and if you're interested in helping to keep girls in school in Uganda um, through Knickers for New Life, uh, you can uh, donate directly on their website at knickersfornewlife.org. Um, and it only costs $35 uh, per girl per year uh, to keep a girl in school for the entire year and to grant her access to um, the knickers, the undergarments, uh, the maca pads, the, the mosquito repellent soap, um, and then also the access to health and hygiene education excellent excellent so uh, as before we go to the song uh cast your cares i'll just say the truth to power show airs every monday at 8 a.m uh you can catch us uh live on readingbrooklyn.org or through our apps as i mentioned um also you can look at our back catalog of about 60 or so episodes at truthtopowershow.podomatic.com or you can go to iTunes, uh, Google Play, or Spotify, where they should be cross-archived. So feel free to listen to them. And um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Jamelia Thompson. 
Thank you, Jay. Thank you. So uh, I'm going to be playing um, uh, Cast Your Cares. Um, So thank you. Sing it a little bit early.
a wonderful song. Uh, as we start to uh, close out, uh, I just want to remind people to go to truthpowershow.podomatic.com uh, and listen to the uh, archives of episodes. Last week, we also had a uh, member of the Redeemers Club. Uh, I believe um, that will be interesting to continue to uh, have your members of your group here. So if you'd also like, if a listener would also like to be a, uh, a guest on Truth to Power Show, they can write to truthtopowershow at gmail.com. Uh, and try to uh, see if they can uh, present something or, or, or give something, offer something to the show. So I'd love to have you on. Uh, we've actually scheduled guests until like July 15th. Hmm. So it's been very good. But uh, there's always a possibility for people to jump in and, uh, and, uh, and be a guest. So thanks so much. Thank you, Amelia. Thank you, Jay. It's been great. Thank you.